Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast, where we bring you an unrivaled love and passion for pro wrestling to you, the listeners. I'm one half of this tag team, Kenny Oak, and I'm joined, as always, by my tag team partner, Chris Harris. What's going on, Chris, Bubs? Chris, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Another day. Uh, yeah, uh, it'd be a little better for me if uh, the Saints could win a game, but... You know, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's let's, life. let's leave this to wrestling. You, you're, you need to get on the right page here, Bubs. They're not going to win any games. We're here to talk about some good stuff, not that trash. Yes, yes, you're right. And uh, today we'll be doing our inaugural paper review, where we dig deep into the archives to bring you a fresh perspective on a significant pay per view in the history of WWE. Uh, today, our first review will be Backlash 2000, and uh, what a way to start. Honestly, uh, this could possibly be one of the best pure wrestling pay-per-views in WWE history. And Chris, I know you were excited for this one. I really was, Bubs. I'm glad we picked this one because this one has a little bit of everything. Obviously, a great storyline to it. Some really good matches on the whole card. A pretty good lead-up as well. So this thing had a little bit of everything, too. Yeah, when you uh, talk about the uh, pay-per-view after WrestleMania, there usually there's not storylines going into it uh there's some kind of leftover from the wrestlemania storylines and with this one it's it's the same thing there's uh, a lot of a lot of stories crossing over from wrestlemania and then kind of just some some matches just thrown together just uh just for the sake of it there is but this one had the golden piece that wrestlemania didn't have that, that would have made wrestlemania a lot better and that is stone cold steve austin Yes, it's uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and also it's the Triple H and Rock one-on-one match. And I think that's something that they really missed the boat on at WrestleMania. That, that's a match that definitely should have been the main event at WrestleMania that year without Stone Cold. Yeah, and since then we've wanted to get Triple H and The Rock at WrestleMania. We've had several opportunities, but they really haven't done it. And even now we want it, even in their later years, because I think they could still put on a pretty good match. But... I was okay with the main event at WrestleMania. It had the big show. They were still pushing him, and you had Mick Foley, who was pushed by Linda McMahon. But, yeah, it obviously came down to Triple H and The Rock at the end of it, and then we got it again here at Backlash. Yeah, the uh, WWE, I feel, definitely missed the boat on that one, but it, it definitely made for a fantastic main event at a Backlash, and it, it's a match that we definitely deserve to see at Wrestlemania, but I'm glad we ended up getting it anyway at Backlash. Right, and the storyline leading up to it is excellent. It goes right in with it, and you get a great pay-per-view altogether. You get a great main event. You get pretty good storyline, and then altogether that's why we picked this one as the lead-off for this, because it had a little bit of everything, and it was it was great. Yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the lead-up to this pay-per-view. There was a, a lot of focus was put in on the Feud. It was really The Rock versus the uh, McMahon-Helmsley faction. Uh, there wasn't a lot of other storylines going into this pay-per-view. They really put their main focus on the main event, and it, it made for made for a fantastic main event. And I, I really enjoyed the uh, story going into this one. Oh, yeah. You could tell that all the storyline and the writing was put in towards towards this they they buried the rock put him up against a lot a lot of odds against the the faction of stephanie and shane and vince and triple h and then you get the one the one good guy in all this turns out to be linda mcmahon 
bringing in Stone Cold Steve Austin to be on the Rock side, and they really milk this thing because it's the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin from his injury at Survivor Series 99. And, I mean, they used it, and you could, I mean, it was great that they did because it worked out in the end for them. And WWE, they really milked this, and it turned into a really great storyline, and they capitalized on it just as they should, and Austin was just as over as he ever was in his return. Uh, yeah, about that car that ran over, I believe, Rikishi was the one driving it. Yeah, I guess we're going to get a Rikishi name <laughs> drop in here as as needed. Yeah, who, uh, you, The Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. Rikishi. I mean, he, he is a Hall of Famer. He had his run, but no one was ready for that. And I mean, I was ready for it to be Billy Gunn or even Triple H, you know, but it, it was Rikishi. <laughs> well, you, it just, it had the perfect build for it to be Triple H, but then it turns out to be Rikishi who first said it was for The Rock and then completely flip-reversed flip it and uh, it was for Triple H in the end. And why Rikishi was trying to help Triple H is beyond that that's the story they went with right and they weren't and, all winners in the attitude era no 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 rikishi got his push though you I mean he had several championship matches he was in he fell from the hell in a cell and the undertaker pushed him off into that yes he did the back of that truck so i mean they tried with him because he he's part of that samoan lineage so i guess he deserves an automatic push in vince's eyes but it was it was weird i i mean i could have done without it but i'm still a rikishi fan for when he dances in the ring regardless yeah, his his time with Too Cool was uh, was pretty fun. It was it was good for the fans, but uh, yeah, sorry we got off on this uh, tangent about Rikishi. He actually had nothing to do with yeah, yeah, this pay per view as a that whole. That has so. no storyline here, but uh, we're gonna drop <laughs> it anyway. Go Rikishi. Yeah, go Rikishi. Go Hall of Fame. Yeah. 2016. <laughs> but yeah, the majority of the storyline is Stone Cold Steve Austin, and you can see small bits and pieces were put into making a little bit of storyline writing for the, some of the smaller matches on the card. But, I mean, it's evident that, I mean, that most of the work was put in for that main event. Yeah, and it's focused on on the main event. And uh, some of the people that were involved in that uh, angle, you had Bull Buchanan and Big, Bo and Big Boss Man. They ended up finding themselves on the pay-per-view going against APA. Uh, yeah, you saw a lot of uh, Kurt Angle wanting to, uh, getting promised the tag team titles from Triple H. Uh, with his with his tag team partner Big Show, who yeah. was going through an identity crisis at the time, That's so a, a lot of the yeah a lot of the main event storyline uh, bled into the uh, undercard for this pay per view. And the undercard which, which gets in the end, solid. kind of undercard was very solid this pay per view. And uh, if you don't mind, we'll uh, let's go ahead and jump into this pay per view. Yeah, go ahead. I'm ready. Yeah, the first match we had uh, Edge and Christian, the uh, champions who won the uh, triangle ladder match at WrestleMania 2000. They went up against uh, D-Generation X with uh, uh, X-Pac and Road Dog representing them, and with also uh, Tori uh, as yes. their manager. I'd, yeah, that was. Whatever. And then uh, the worst. <laughs> it was a very solid match, but the worst part had to have been when they enlisted the help of. Deborah to be the guest ring announcer. Yeah, I hated that. Of all things to lead off the pay-per-view with, we got that, and it wasn't good. She didn't do anything positive. She sounded like crap on the mic, and it was it wasn't worth anybody's time. Yeah, it was. The only thing I could think of is that she was gone for a while, and it was just a cheap pop for the crowd. But really, other than that, the uh, I thought the match was really good. You had Edge and Christian, of course, 
defending and retaining the titles against Degeneration X. And all around, it was a solid match. You had some good work from both sides and good heel work by Degeneration X. Uh, heard the uh, Xbox Sucks chants. Those were good. Those never get old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've told you this before. I don't like. Uh, I didn't like the match being the leadoff match because I think it kind of takes away from the championship, uh, the titles from any title holder really. Even if it was the hardcore title, I don't think it should really lead off if you have other other options because there's multiple tag team contests on this card. But another problem is I, I never bought Road Dog and X Pac. The problem with that is that Road Dog never stopped being over because he could always work the crowd and they always loved him. And people, including you, hate X Pac for multiple reasons. Yes, and, uh, very much I do. And this was a, a just a, a weird tag team. I didn't like it. It wasn't something new. It wasn't a newer version of the New Age Outlaws or anything. It was just X Pac being booed. Road Dog, who's supposed to be heel, but he still works the crowd and people cheer for him and sing along with him so the match was very good though you're right there's a couple of good spots in there and Edge and Christian depended the titles just as you'd expect them to yeah and uh, Road Dog, it like you were saying it's hard to boo the guy he's so fun to watch and when he does the shake rattle and roll and his little punch combo it just you know you can't help but you know get a, get a little pop over that mark out over it Exactly, but, but then you have guys yeah, like other you than who X-Pac. I think Degeneration X did a pretty good job of playing the heels in the match. They did some block tags. They worked the ref a little bit. And uh, all in all, they did a pretty solid job being heels, uh, other than the finish where uh, Edge and Christian won by using heel tactics. But uh, the crowd really ate it up. They, they were so over Edge and Christian at the time. Edge and Christian were, were over. No, the crowd wasn't over Edge and Christian. They still love those guys. <laughs> oh yeah, they they could have done anything. They could they could have finished this match anyway, and the crowd would have loved it regardless. Yeah, one thing though, I once again, sorry, I'm going to bring up my hate of Xbox, but the Bronco Buster. Why was that ever a move? Well, because it used to work for him. Remember when I mean when DX was in that gray area of they talk shit but they're super face. It was one of those moves that worked for him and kind of excited the crowd and I mean Shane McMahon does it too yeah that's true I was just earlier today I was watching uh, a YouTube video as a tribute to Shane McMahon and one of the packages was him just doing a bunch of Bronco Busters and I did it but it's Shane so I, I, I dug it it wasn't Xbox so I was okay with it yeah that, see that makes it better I could I could watch anything with Shane in it but yeah, not, not yeah. X-Pac in a tag match. He's, I like him as a singles guy. You hate him regardless, even as a person. So, I mean, you can't change that. <laughs> Sean Waltman, yeah. X-Pac, you hate, you hate both of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, huge anyway, that, that was a very solid match. Edge and Christian retaining. Uh, Edge and Christian retaining. Uh, next match, though, another yet another championship match. This entire pay-per-view was filled with... Uh, either tag team matches or uh, championship matches. And the uh, match number two was Dean Malenko going up against Scotty Tuhati. And uh, Scotty Tuhati was majorly over. I did not realize just how over him as an individual was. Oh, yeah, the crowd ate him up because he was so too cool and Rikishi at the time. That was the, the gimmick was really working. And him coming out just being this, you know, fun-loving, dancing-around type of fool... It, it really worked, and Dean Malenko, just that, that stern face, technical guy, does nothing flashy. It was real opposites right there, a true heel face work in the ring. 
Yeah, and uh, it definitely worked for this match. This was just a very match. I would I consider it the the show stealing match of the night. Uh, it it didn't get the you know the hype and and the crowd pop that the main event did, but as a just a singles match, I, I, this was definitely the best singles match of the night. And a lot of it had to do with Dean Malenko carrying Scotty Tuhati, but also the crowd being so behind Scotty and. And him, he did a really good job selling a lot of Dean Malenko's offense, and uh, I thought, I thought all around it was just a very solid match. Yeah, this was one of those that you really wouldn't expect because you see Scotty Tuhati and Grandmaster Sexay in the tag team, and they really took advantage of of the injury to Grandmaster Sexay, and they let Scotty go out and do a little bit of single stuff, and he ends up winning the the light heavyweight title. You know, a week before this, and it, the title goes back and forth between him and Malenko. And this was unexpected. They both worked really good. Malenko did carry the match, though, easily. But um, Scotty held up. Yeah, Scotty uh, definitely did plenty to hold his own. And uh, but Dean Malenko, yeah, uh, as we were saying, very as you were saying, very stern face. You know, no nonsense. His ring work, I'd say, is a nine out of ten. While his uh, charisma is about a negative thirty out of ten. Yeah. That puts him right about on but the zero scale of total. They, but, yeah, you want him in the ring. You don't yeah, want him you know, on the they, mic. They relied on him to put on great matches, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah, <laughs> of, all the, of all the technicians, I mean, he is one of the one of the best, hands down. Uh, the, the announcers tried pretty hard to put over the light heavyweight title because, uh, remember, they were still trying to compete with the cruiserweights on WCW, but it – WWE just did not put a lot of effort into that title, which was a shame because there was a lot of good talent in that light heavyweight division. Yeah, they could have done a lot more with it looking back now. Um, obviously, you may not want a guy like Scotty Tuhati running it, but I mean, to put a, a heel like yeah. Malenko as the title holder and then make him, you know, probably run through that light heavyweight or cruiserweight division, whatever you want to call it, they could have put a lot more effort, effort into it because there was still a lot of talent. Oh yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. And I always liked the smaller guys, the way they work, just the matches they put on. Uh, especially in WCW, I loved the cruiserweight division with Dean Malenko, Chris Jericho, Rey Mysterio. Luckily, all those guys came. Eddie Guerrero. How can you forget him? And we'll get to him later on. And but yeah, that that division was stacked if they would have just run with it. But what I want to talk about is the finish, like. That turnbuckle DDT was it was off the turnbuckle was just insane. Yeah, it was a very unique finish that I mean I didn't think that they would try to pull off. I was much expecting a tap out from Scotty or something, but uh, yeah, it was an attempted superplex from the top. They got reversed into a DDT. It's very it's very much worth checking out if you've never seen the match. The whole match is actually, but very unique finish and just an overall great match. Yeah, it's definitely one of those that uh, you don't want to skip whenever you're watching uh, the pay-per-view. If you're going back and like, hey, you know, I want to watch Backlash 2000 now, do not skip match number two, Dean Malenko and Scotty Tuhati. Just a great all-around match. However, if you do want to skip a match, this next match we're about to talk about, I wouldn't be upset if you skipped it. Is uh, As I talked about earlier, Big Boss Man and Bull Buchanan uh, going up against APA. Now, I love APA, but when you put four people in the ring that large, it's going to be a little slower and a little plotting. 
Oh yeah, and uh, this was this was, should have been the leadoff match if I was setting up the card right. Obviously, we're going to remove Deborah from the beginning of this in general. So you want to get the crowd hot. You could have brought out the APA. They were big and over at the time. Everyone liked them, and you would have got the same reaction. You would have brought up the tag team titles a little bit higher on the card. I'm just a big fan of that. It's just a personal gripe. We're picking apart this pay-per-view. We're getting <laughs> deep down into it. But yeah, like you said, this match, uh, this is a little bit skippable. I mean, Bradshaw at that time was, I mean, he was climbing, and you could, he was a big worker in the ring, and he eventually rose to some pretty good things. And, but all these four guys, just big, big, huge dudes who were just in there throwing haymakers at each other. Uh, it was a real slobber knocker, uh, much like JR would say. Uh, little did we know at the time, we were watching a wrestling god in JBL. A <laughs> god. But, uh, he was... <laughs> <laughs> Our opinions vary there. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he may be a wrestling guy, but he's definitely not a commentating guy. Well, except for if you, I mean, he could put over John Cena, even though John Cena doesn't need put over, you know, Big Match big John. Big Match John. I'll kick out at two, John. <laughs> no one performs in big matches like John Cena. Anyway, oh. uh, yeah, there, there wasn't a lot to complain about this, uh, this pay-per-view. Uh, this is one of the few things that I would complain about. Like you said, having this match kind of take place after the tag team championship match. But I understand where they went with that because you, you do want to get the crowd hot uh, to start the pay-per-view. Uh, however, you know, I, I just wouldn't have had this match at all, honestly. Yeah, this match was just much more of a filler. This card was already pretty long and deep as it was. I didn't really see a need to get it on here. They, I guess maybe it was just an attempt to keep all these guys kind of on screen and keep them known. But, uh, I mean, there wasn't really anything to the match. The ending was very good, which I know you're hyped about. You love the fucking ending of this thing, but it, could, it was skippable. Yeah, that, uh, Jesus, that Bull Buchanan leg drop off the top rope. I mean, I love when, when big men do stuff like that. And uh, Bull Buchanan, he was a very athletic big man, and uh, he was six eight. He was huge, and uh, to pull off a move like that was—I thought it was very good. And uh, I believe it was Farouk that took it, and he—he he got hit with a, a with a weapon, uh, with the uh, yeah, with Big Boss Man's nightstick, hits him. He he goes over. He kind of bends over, and then boom, Bull Buchanan with the big leg off the top. And, uh, yeah, I really like the finish. That's about the only thing about the match that I enjoyed. Yeah, Bossman's been heel his whole life, I think, regardless of any, anything else. Maybe, <laughs> maybe when he fought the Mountie, people liked him then as a, as a face. That's a great match. But um, uh, Yeah, you mean when the uh, Mountie uh, got put in jail for the night? and yeah, right. they took him in was... the car, in the van. It was a, yeah. good, it was a very good Let heel me, ending. Go ahead. It was a good heel ending. Bossman hit him with the nightstick. He kind of stood up and walked himself to the corner a little bit to set up Bull Buchanan. Bull Buchanan was a huge athletic guy, had a lot of talent, never got a chance on the mic, never got a lot of chance in general. Um, he could have been something. He went on to Japan, though, and had some pretty good success over there, but he could have been a lot more. Yeah, he's actually uh, just recently retired. Well, recently, I say. It was 2013, 2014. Uh, he had his last match. But, uh, yeah, uh, done. I'm done talking about that match. Uh, on to the next one where we had... The hardcore title match with, let me just go ahead and read these names off to you. You had Crash Holly, Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, Hardcore Holly, 
Perry Saturn, and Taz all vying for that coveted hardcore title. Yeah, coveted. That's a pretty descriptive word that may not work here. Um, <laughs> I mean, the hardcore title was never... I mean, it was never... It never shined like if they were trying to compare it to something in ECW. The 24-7 rule was the most exciting period for it, I think, even though it was still pretty lame. And, I mean, the, the matches were... They were never really structured great. There was a couple great moments with some random pins with random people winning it. I mean, WrestleMania, my God, how many transfers of the title were there? There was uh, 16, I believe. Uh, but, yeah, that 24-hour rule, it was... It, it, it was you had a lot of random champions, a lot of people who should have never have held a title ever won the hardcore title. Uh, I believe Raven won it twenty twenty something times, like something ungodly. Right. I mean, if you want it anybody just, to hold really, it, it was just fan service for the ECW. Yeah, I mean, he's the only guy, and maybe Taz and some other ECW guys are the only ones that you could say, yeah, I could see him holding that. But then you got a guy like Matt Hardy holding it, and and Crash, bless his heart, but. I don't know. It never really worked for me. Yeah, but uh, yeah, Crash Holly, uh, allegedly 400 pounds. He, I don't know where he holds that weight. You know, at, he is. Yeah, he at was least stout. 400, at least. Yeah, him, him, and Hardcore. That's right. When they come, they come out combined, allegedly over 800. You're in trouble. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, that's. Uh, you're looking at Yokozuna territory there. Yeah. Some, uh, some Big Daddy V. I wish they would have used their weight more effectively. They would have been tag champs more often, but they didn't. Yeah, Crash probably could have made a run at the uh, at the WWE title with a size like that. That's right. Never materialized. Bad writing, WWE. <laughs> Vince, I'm going to give you a call later. You need to stop ignoring me. I'm sorry about all the Daniel Bryan calls, but you tell me I was wrong about that. Yeah, he, he's screening for you. He knows your number, so that's not worth it. I know. <laughs> I'll call him about Dolph later. Oh, he's heard that. He heard that back in 2011. <laughs> Hey, I'm telling you, I, I'm, a, I'm a visionary. I look to the future. And the future is Roman Reigns. Oh. God, I make him look strong. Everybody put him over. Anyway. So back to the match. Yeah. <laughs> Crash climbing the, the hooks, the backlash hooks, which I missed the backlash hooks, by the way. But you had him climbing and, uh, and then jumping off onto everyone. And for some reason, Matt Hardy climbed right after Crash did and did the exact same spot. Uh, they they did their best. That, that's, all, that's all I can say about this match, is that they did their best. Yeah, and if the Hardys, if both of them hadn't been in this match, it would have been pretty boring. There wasn't a lot to it. It was just a lot of throwing stuff around and hitting people with it. We saw a couple nice suplexes from Bob Holly. He did the Falcon Arrow. But this, this wasn't great. Yeah, even the uh, announcers started to lose interest about about halfway through once the entire ring was filled with extension cords and crash-pinned anybody he retained. But the only way anyone else could have won the title was if they pinned Crash. I don't know where they got that stipulation from, but it, it, made, for, it made for some boring action uh, towards the tail end of that match. Yeah, it really became a pin fest and starting in about the middle of it. Everyone was just trying to get quick covers, and like you said, the announcers... They tried, but I mean, oh, there's another cover and a kick out. And there's another cover and a kick yeah. out, and it didn't. It, it it really fell apart. But they tried at certain times, you know. And in the end, we got exactly what we expected, and that was a Crash Holly win. Yeah, well, I would say you wouldn't 
take the title off of him at the time, but we're talking about the hardcore title here, so it really didn't matter. You're right. Anything, uh, anything could have happened, and I would have been like, okay, I can see that. Because the week before on Raw, Matt Hardy won the title, so I don't know. Yeah, it, that, that whole hardcore scene never made sense to me. But uh, JR did have a classic call saying the uh, Houdini of hardcore wins in reference to Crash Holly. I can listen to JR call any he he can call a uh, barrel rolling competition and I would get I would mark out for it. You really would, and I say this all the time. He could put over a piece of bread. He'd find a way, and I'd buy the damn bread. I don't know how he does it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, on to the next match, which. Yeah, and this is where you're talking about a little bit of the, the main storyline kind of leading down onto some of this. Kurt Angle, main event guy, Big Show, the main event guy, and they weren't in the picture at the time because of The Rock and the return of Austin. So uh, Kurt Angle wanting gold again, as he always does. Triple H gives him the chance to win tag team gold again, and he says, you're going to be partnered with The Big Show. And obviously that's a pretty easy win in the eyes of Kurt Angle, but The Big Show's going through this uh, crisis of kind of like identity doesn't know who he is but he's this fun-loving character but he starts you know coming out in costumes and things like that and it was funny but I mean they I didn't think it was necessary to really bring the big show down to that level where he's just out there for comedic relief and then he'd kind of have these snap moments where he'd you know go back into big rage mode I'm the big show and I'm gonna kick people's ass and Kurt Angle took offense to that because they had a chance to win gold and big show took it took his gold chance away from him so that's what kind of started up the feud and eventually led to backlash here. Yeah, and uh, this match, uh, the, the, the intro itself, Kurt Angle, he came out, cut a really funny, good Kurt Angle promo. That guy from day one, he just had it. Like, Kurt yeah, Angle he, he's was... He's great. Everything. And, yeah, he, yeah, he was an A-plus player from day one. Uh, Big Show, though, comes out, and uh, Big Show comes out, however, uh, Hulk Hogan's music hits and the crowd crowd goes into a frenzy they don't know what to think and uh, if I'm not mistaken this took place uh, yeah at the uh, I, I don't remember if it was before or after the bash at the beach incident uh, where Hogan and Vince Russo had their infamous uh, shoot against each other but uh, Hulk awful. Hogan's music hits crowd doesn't know what to think Vince Russo I I know you'll probably never listen to this but if you are you were truly truly terrible Hulk Hogan's music hits everyone's thinking oh my goodness could this really be Hulk Hogan uh, unfortunately what we got was the uh, seven foot world largest world's largest athlete big show in full Hulkamania get up at the uh the red and yellow had the shirt, had the uh, fake bald head, the long <laughs> hair. Somehow, someway, Big Show got it over. Yeah, I don't know how it worked, but, I mean, the crowd was buying it because he hopped on the mic when he got in the ring, and he, he cut a Hogan promo. And, you know, he kind of had that Hogan deep kind of draw to his voice, and it just pissed off. Kurt yeah, Angle. he had me full. Yeah, if you weren't watching, you'd be like, hold on, I can hear Hogan maybe. But uh, he, he made it work. He's an entertaining guy, obviously, so he can do a lot of stuff. And that's what he came out and did. And he put on a full-on Hogan gimmick even when the match started. Yeah, and uh, the match itself was just a glorified squash match. Uh, no no reason to ever have Kurt Angle get squashed, especially by the big show. But 
that that's all this was. This was just a filler match. Uh, Big Show just beats up on Kurt Angle, even hits him with the leg drop. Angle kicks out. Angle fights back a little bit, but he gets hit with the choke slam. I, I believe he got power bombed also. Uh, either way, Big Show gets the quick victory over Kurt Angle, and I hated it. Yeah, I hated the match. I wish it would have never been on there. You should never do that to a main event talent. Yeah, you don't do that to either of them. Big Show just came out of the WrestleMania main event, although he may may or may not should have been there. That's kind of a, an opinion thing, but the dude's a main event talent. And to put him like this in the middle of a card against another main event guy, but having it full of a, a quick gimmick that gets Kurt Angle buried, I didn't like it. It kept them both in the eyes of the people, I guess, by having them on the card. But there was nothing to this match. Hated it. Uh, so... Yeah, we had a glorified squash match. Uh, really, it was a throwaway match. Our uh, our next match could have also have been uh, deemed a throwaway match, and that was TNA, which was uh, Test and Albert with Trish Stratus in their corner, going going up against the Dudley Boys, uh, Bubba Ray and Devon. Uh, it was a strange build to this match. You had. Uh, Bubba Ray, he was going through his little phase where he was putting women through tables. And uh, Trish Stratus just happened to be next on his list. And she had Test an Hour to back her. And, and she kissed him to avoid going through. It, this this buildup had a lot of weird things happening. It did, yeah. She kissed him and he put him in a trance and Bubba was already weird enough. I didn't think they needed to make him look like that. Uh, that's really all this was, though. It was just kind of a Bubba Ray Dudley thing of him putting uh, women through tables by powerbombing them off the top turnbuckle. And you kind of knew that she'd avoided the, the powerbomb for weeks leading up to this, so you kind of knew it was going to come, and it did. The Dudleys were pretty over at the time. They were champs before this, so, I mean, they got good reaction from the crowd. TNA was hated because they were kind of a, th- a thrown-together team, but... That's exactly what this was. It wasn't a wrestling match. It was, uh, we're going to just wait for Trish to get through a table, and then we'll move on. Yeah, uh, there there wasn't a lot of good wrestling in this match. There was a lot of good banter back and forth between uh, TNA and the and Dudleys, uh, mostly just Bubba Ray Dudley yeah, it's yelling random Ray. things. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, at one point, he uh, walks on the apron, finds Trish, and... Uh, yells at her and this is something that'll never be repeated again on wwe television uh he yelled at her i'm going to get you you little bitch <laughs> and then another good line from the match was uh came from good old jr who uh at one point uh when the dudleys do their uh little groin headbutt he goes uh he calls it the, the dudley's unique version of birth control <laughs> Uh, see, but I mean, even listening to Jr., it'll, he'll get you through the match, regardless of whether or not there's good work in the <laughs> ring. He'll he'll pull you right on through. For what it was, decent match. All right, so our next match was uh, another. It was our fourth. I believe it was our fourth championship match of the night. Yeah, fourth. Had uh, Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, Eddie Guerrero with China, uh, Mamacita at the time going up against uh, S.A. Rios for the European title. And uh, Lita was with S.A. Rios. That's where she actually started. So, yeah, we had Eddie. Go on. Eddie uh, was getting his GED in the weeks leading up to this, and uh, 
he was taking Mamacita to the, to the prom, and you get a you get a lot of uh, some backstage stuff. This is when Eddie was doing his um, his super Mexican accent that he was putting on at the time, and China was all over it and loving it. And this slowly became a very lovable kind of relationship that they built together. And I didn't like it at first when they kind of put them together; it seemed just a little bit rough. But they had a lot of chemistry, and it, it eventually worked out very well. Uh, the, the vignettes were pretty funny, though, with him in the backstage trying on tuxes and different colors and all kinds of just nonsense, <laughs> and Eddie was hilarious. Yeah, uh, those two definitely worked well together, and uh, they had a lot of lot of good chemistry together, something you really didn't expect. Like you said, I, I didn't like the pairing at first because I didn't really see where they were going with this, but I definitely think those two worked well together and made it work in a way that WWE probably wasn't expecting at the time. No, they definitely were. I don't know what their angle was at first, but whatever they got in the end was was well worth the the time they put in. The match uh, between these two kind of came about a little bit odd. They were shoving Eddie and S.A. Rios together as a tag team, probably because they're Hispanic. I may be trying to reach that Hispanic demographic a little bit, but very Yeah, obviously. that's definitely uh, WWE's logic. Right. Um, and then they, had the, they stopped it, and they had Lita um, botching jump attempts and hitting Eddie Guerrero. And eventually, the you know there's a little bit of feud starting between Lita and China, and then the tag team just goes apart, and S.A. Rios finds himself in a European title match against Eddie Guerrero, and that's what we got here. Yeah, and the uh, the the match itself got off to a uh, a shaky start. Uh, you saw S.A. Rios uh, miss a couple spots. He, he was a little sloppy. Uh, definitely some nerves because he was a uh, he was fairly new to the WWE, and it, it's a little. It's a little more difficult for uh, people who aren't used to the style, uh, especially luchadors and uh, and other and people who come over from Japan. It's uh, WWE in, employs a very different style than a lot of these other organizations do, and it, it definitely took him a little bit of time to get into the swing of things. But once he did, this match really took off. Yeah, and you could tell it was probably nerves because he's a he's a luchador, like you said. So even in other matches besides this one, you could tell he has a little bit of difficulty kind of syncing up with other guys and technicians. And even Eddie Guerrero, who's much more of a technician than a luchador by any means, I think, they, it was rough to get this one going. But uh, S.A. Rios does a lot of great things in this match once it, once it gets going, and Eddie carries a lot of the match. But S.A. Rios held his own, doing a couple really good spots on his own, and the match, the match came together. Yeah, the match definitely ended up being a pretty solid match. Uh, that one spot, though, that just gets me was... Uh, S.A. Rios uh, does a top rope dive uh, out the ring, and then Eddie Guerrero just sidesteps him, sidesteps him, and throws his head into the into the mat on the ground. It was, oh, that was brutal. My my reaction was uh, to just throw my headphones off and go, "Fuck, that's gotta hurt." Yeah, and if it did anything else besides that, it probably woke S.A. Rios up a little bit and. Uh... Yeah, kind of, kind of kick-started the match a little bit. You can kind of consider that as a as the better starting point after that happened. Uh, another thing that I uh, loved about this match is that Eddie Guerrero wrestled in a tux. Uh, I thought that was very classy and something he should have done more often. That's right. I mean, he showed up in the full tux. He ended up taking all of it apart except for like the cummerbund and the bow tie, I think, and the, yeah, obviously the pants yeah. on. Um, he also rolled up in a '57 Chevy. And Mamacita was looking good. And, I mean, yeah, he wrestled in the damn tux, man, with the bow tie on, and it worked. He, he did. He did. That, that's what made Eddie Guerrero 
is that he just he did things that no one else would try and pull off. And I miss him. Yeah, I do too. He was such a unique guy in the ring, such a crazy personality and great charisma. That, I mean, you never see another one like him. No, he was definitely one of a kind. And, and you see it today where a lot of these younger uh, talents are talking about how they were inspired by him. Someone like you know, Sasha Banks comes to mind. She's so over right now and you know everyone loves her wrestling style and she attribute attributes it all to uh to eddie guerrero yeah because he was right in the middle of you know me and you that was as our like passion times as young younger kids yeah like, we looked up to the guy and obviously he's sorely missed went way too soon yeah absolutely i i know i was devastated when i found out that he had passed he was just way too young uh, he he would be an amazing uh, coach down at NXT, or just a, a good hand for WWE to train the the new and up and coming talents that they have, because he definitely adjusted very well to the WWE style of of wrestling. He really did. You could put him in a match with anybody, and it would work. You know, even as a little guy versus a huge guy, he he could work Big Show just like Rey Mysterio worked Big Show, and you could say that. The landscape would be way different if Eddie was still here. Like, God knows where he'd be and who else he would have inspired and who he would have actually, like, maybe taught and, like, actually instructed. It would have been crazy. Yeah, and uh, one thing I wasn't expecting, they uh, finished the match with uh, Eddie hits an airplane spin into a neckbreaker, and uh, that ended up getting the pin. Uh, I know I wasn't expecting it. When I, when I saw the, the spot, you know, I thought, oh, that was... Uh, that was a pretty cool spot, and then he got the pin, and I was, uh, wasn't was expecting it, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, it was a pretty cool move that, that we saw, but I did, he just rolled over right into a cover. You'd think that he would have you know, hit that move and then went for the frog splash, but it was a little, uh, little unexpected. It worked. It was a, a cool little move that he ended up pulling off, and he got the win, as you expected. He wasn't going to drop to S.A. Rios. Not at all, but uh, all around it turned out to be a very solid match and uh, uh, steal the show also. Our next match, which was our fifth out of six title matches on the night, and it was for the Intercontinental title. It was the champion Chris Benoit defending against uh, Chris Jericho, and this was yet another solid match. And uh, I just want to get this out of the way. These two guys beat the shit out of each other's chests. I was in pain during this match watching that happen. Yeah, because Chris Benoit's Ch- chop to the chest is like no other. I mean, it, it's a full-on move set for him. Um, it's, it, <laughs> I'm of, sure he could have punched people you, away with that. Yeah, instead of punching people in the face, he goes for your chest, man. And if it weren't for Ric Flair's great chest chop, Benoit's would be at the top of the list. Yeah, uh, just ask Daniel Pewter of Tough Enough fame uh, about those chest chops. Another name drop, you guys. You're welcome for the Daniel Pewter reference. Go ahead and pull out Google for that one if you need that. No shame. Yeah, and uh, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel, if you're listening, I'm sorry about bringing up that. I'm sure you still have nightmares about that WrestleMania. Uh, no, Royal Rumble, my bad. Yeah, it was a rumble. Anyway, the match was uh, match was very good, like I said. These are two of the best ever to lace up their boots. And unfortunately, you know, one of those people will never get the recognition that the other one gets. And uh, I... I mean, I understand. I'm not going to go into some kind of moral debate about the the situation was terrible, what he did. To me, that doesn't take away from what he did in the ring, which was just uh, absolutely amazing. 
Okay, so that's what's great with having this forum right here is we don't really have to get into the, the moral debates of it, but we can talk about how great Chris Benoit was as a performer, and he put on numerous matches, as did Chris Jericho, and this is just another example of these two in particular having great chemistry together, and this was actually their first one-on-one -on -one match in WWE, and they've had numerous before this in Japan and WCW, obviously. Benoit, someone who definitely wasn't a uh, string of great matches, uh, he, was, he was one of my favorites uh, in WCW, his best of seven series, uh, he had a couple of them with uh, Booker T, and those were just amazing matches. So, uh, but unfortunately, those will never be talked about. But this match in general, the one that we're talking about today, uh, it was just such a good match. The uh, the crowd was definitely into Jericho. Uh, we failed to mention this, uh, but a couple weeks before on Raw, he actually won the title off of Triple H for about five minutes and the crowd absolutely went insane. This was this was the moment where WWE realized, hey, uh, we might have a big time player on our hands. Yeah, and this was a kind of a feel it out moment that Creative was doing, I think. You know, they gave it to Jericho on a quick count from Earl Hebner and the crowd just loved it. If you haven't seen that match or at least that ending to that match on the Raw two weeks before this, go ahead and check that out because it's worth seeing and he runs off with the title and the crowd is all about it. Yeah, and uh, this match in particular, uh, there weren't a lot of like big, huge spots, you know, uh, something that jumps out at the page. It was just an all-around, just a solid match. Uh, Benoit was working heel, uh, Jericho working the uh, babyface. Uh, the, the one issue, though, I had with this match uh, was the ending. It, uh, it ended by disqualification, and personally, I thought that kind of took away from the match. Uh, what happened was that... Uh, Benoit did his flying headbutt off the ring, off the uh, top rope. The icy title happened to be laying next to Jericho, and uh, Benoit hits it. The ref looks, sees that it's next to Jericho, and does the disqualification, gives the title back to to Benoit. And honestly, I thought they could have gone so many different ways with the finish, and uh, this was not the way they should have gone. No, I didn't like the ending either. We see the exact same match again the next month at Judgment Day, them one-on-one -on -one again. They could have gone a lot different ways. Um, I, I mean, I would, have, I would have rather seen Jericho tap out, honestly, than to see it like this. And then we see Jericho put Tim White in the walls. And I don't know, I just was, it didn't sit well with me. The whole match was great. And then you had a, just an awkward ending that could have just been better. Yeah, it's one of those moments where uh, you, you, you see it a lot where WWE tries to get there uh, with their booking, and you have an all-around, you have just a solid match, two great workers. Uh, let them tell the story. Let them, you know, let them figure it out. But for some reason, they decided to go with, I mean, if, if they wanted to do the disqualification, just making it an outright, Chris Benoit gets a chair and just hits Jericho with it. You know, don't, don't do this, uh, you know, backhanded, uh, disqualification like they did. There, there was just so many different ways. If they wanted to do the disqualification that they could have gone with it. Yeah, but luckily we got a pretty good match all before that. The match was great um, as you expect from these two and they put on a clinic. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely can't uh, disagree with that. And uh, all around it was a very solid match. Alright, so our, our final match of the night, uh, match number nine, uh, we had our sixth championship title match and it was the main event uh, the match that the entire pay-per-view was built around um, for weeks leading into it. It's the match we should have had at WrestleMania, but instead we got a backlash. And it is The Rock versus Triple H. Triple H, the WWF champion at the time. 
and uh, Triple H had uh, Vince Stephanie in his corner, and uh, Shane McMahon was made the uh, special guest referee. So it was The Rock versus all of the McMahons, and uh, they made it work. They did. I mean, The Rock had to go up against all odds. He had to go up against everybody, all the McMahons, Triple H, DX. Obviously, we mentioned Bull Buchanan and the Boss Man. He had to. He went up against Benoit before this. So, I mean, Rocky had it all put up against him, and they really built up The Rock because he kept on resisting and resisting and resisting, and it led Boy, to... Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> sorry. Uh, Roman, if you're listening, I doubt you are. Uh, sorry. Uh, he was so strong, though. <laughs> you, you look good, kid. You look strong. You just took away from our description of this match by bringing Roman back into it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but but that that's the that's the point that I'm trying to make is that uh, this is essentially the same storyline that uh, Roman went through when he leading up to his match at WrestleMania. But The Rock, who was arguably a much bigger star than well, not arguably, he was, he was a much bigger yeah. star. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but he pulled it off and we're talking about a main event guy who hardly ever lost and you know he pulled off the card stacked against him just because a lot of it had to do with just how good of a heel Triple H and Vince McMahon the entire McMahon family were at the time and just all in all it worked yeah all the credit goes to both of them in this case because The Rock great face Triple H even better heel you could argue they put it together, and then you had this X factor of the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin that Linda McMahon put out there oh, randomly. I, I completely forgot to bring that up. Yeah, the whole the whole random piece that's sitting over everyone's head is whose side is Austin going to be on? Because Linda right. McMahon dropped the bomb, and no one was really ready for it because no one had kind of thought of Stone Cold for a while because he'd been gone since Survivor Series, and she said his name, and the crowd the crowd loved it. They ate it all up, and. Suddenly it was in everybody's head, and they were trying to put it in The Rock's head that Austin wouldn't be on his side and all this stuff, and it was all just such great, great storytelling. Absolutely. It was fantastic storytelling. However, that that's the one small—I mean, I know I'm sounding like I'm griping a lot through this paper. This you is, really are. But this, uh, but this is my one gripe about— about this match is that there, I feel like there was just too much reliance on so cold. Like they just they couldn't give it to just Triple H and The Rock. It just couldn't be those two. They had to put in Stone. It, it's almost as if they didn't think Triple H could you know draw at the time. So they had to throw in Stone Cold to to get those extra pay per view buys. And honestly, he was only there for maybe two minutes. Yeah, but when he was there, they were all about him. But I mean, as soon as I he mean, left I was the ring. About- and the rock hits the spine buster everybody's eyes are right back on the rock so you're kind of right into they they use too much too much of stone cold but at the end of the match rocky took all the attention back on himself as they wanted and he he ended up winning the title in, in a pretty good match as well yeah the the match itself was really good you had the really good spot where uh, the rock gives the uh, rock bottom through the table on both triple h and shane uh, you also had that great moment where uh, the rock goes to pin Triple H and Shane just puts his hands behind his back. Uh, Shane, Shane was great. He he definitely deserves way more credit than what he gets. Yeah, I love Shane. As heel and as face, he could do no wrong in my eyes, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Rock, though, uh, one of one of my notes I put down is that The Rock has one of the best kickouts. Like just, just the way he kicks out and, and the drama he creates is just... He, he's one of the best at it, and he's just one of the best in general at the whole entertainment aspect 
of the sport. Yeah, he ended, he ended up going on to doing something after wrestling. What was he? Oh, he's an I, actor. Yeah. I think he was in a couple movies. I, I don't know. I don't think they were any good. But you could tell he was good at something. So, yeah, his kick out it, too. It really sucked the crowd back <laughs> in, added to that uh, that extended disbelief that you want in high-profile matches like this. This match had it all. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up. Just, uh, you know, you brought up the whole Hollywood thing. Just imagine if he never went to Hollywood or, you know, he, he did a couple of movies here and there. But if he him and Triple H just wrestled for the next decade, just just imagine the, the matches they would have put together. Yeah, we would have gotten WrestleMania like we've all wanted them one-on-one with no nonsense and maybe a clean finish, maybe. But uh, who, who knows? He would have a few more oh, titles. Oh, no, that's too much to ask too. for. Him. Yeah, you're right. I'm too, too much. Uh, sorry, that's me being pessimistic again. I'm working on it. Glass is always half empty. But yeah, uh, that pop though when, when the gr- when the glass finally breaks because Rock was getting just dismantled. Uh, you know he's getting hit with hit with the chairs. He's just getting uh, destroyed by Triple H, and then glass shatters, and I'm pretty sure uh, the building exploded. It did. It, it the structure was probably no longer sound when it hit because they they waited to the last possible second because Rocky's getting beat up by four people in the ring and. You know, the crowd just wanted him so bad, and they waited, and they waited, and then it hit perfectly, and then... Yeah, and uh, that, that's a credit to the uh, storytelling at the time, and just the, the, the timing of the whole thing. That's something that, that's really lacking nowadays, it's just that, that perfect storytelling leading to that one moment that just gets the crowd. Uh, the, the last time you see something like that is, you know, when Daniel Bryan won the title at WrestleMania 31... Before that, it was you know CM Punk coming out in Chicago at Money in the Bank 2011. Right. Uh, we we just don't get moments like that anymore, unfortunately. And this was just a backlash. It wasn't even at a major pay per view. No, this was the first one after WrestleMania. So in essence of the writing for them, this is like the start of the year. This is the first match of the year if WrestleMania is to end the year per se. And we ended up getting the one of the best that year. 2000 and 2001 had a lot of great pay per views in it, but this is one of the best. Yeah, no, that that was a really strong time for uh, pay-per-view. Even uh, there was even some really strong pay-per-views in 2002, but that's kind of when you you saw a lot of the quality start to dip. But yeah, definitely uh, a very strong time in the company, and this was definitely one of the better pay-per-views. And just this storyline in general was uh, was just from start to finish was really good. They they go on and they feud a little bit longer after this, but uh, so Stone. Back, back to the match itself. Stone Cold comes out. He he has a chair in his hand, so you know hell's about to break loose. Uh, he starts smashing people with chairs. Gerald, Gerald Briscoe takes a great chair shot. Uh, Shane takes just a hard chair shot. Pat Patterson does not take a good chair shot. <laughs> no, he does, no, he does not. He, he, folds he may down. be a great technician, but uh, yeah, I, I hope <laughs> I hope he doesn't teach teach people how to take chair shots yeah he's not going to go down in history being known for a chair shot he's known for the ic title but not for taking a shot to the head yeah first first intercontinental champion uh last ranked (laughs) chair shot take but uh stone cold leads waste to everyone uh and then once the dust finally clears uh the rock gives the spine buster to triple h and then pop just the, the the explosiveness that he pops up uh, after the spine buster to then set up for for the the longest uh, this has to hold the record for the longest 
uh, people's elbow and then the uh, the longest anyone has ever stayed down for the people's elbow because because yeah. then after he hits after he hits the people's elbow, uh, Linda McMahon saunters down with uh, equally old Earl Hebner and equally slow, <laughs> and uh, they that they they march their way down and Linda sends Earl in to do the the the, the longest three count I've ever seen. We failed to bring up Earl, but Earl was a, a, a pretty decent part of the storyline. Triple H had fired him a couple weeks before for his fast count, but Linda McMahon brings him back, and it's just another great little the cherry on top is Earl Hebner's three count. He gets he slides into the ring, and Rock has had the cover for about ten seconds already, and he just gives him that slow, definitive one, two, three count and the crowd just waits for the three count and it, it was great that whole uh, storyline was it, it was definitely well told uh but man linda and earl need to get some pep in their step because i can't imagine that uh uh in in the production meeting uh they're saying hey uh uh triple h you're gonna take a uh take the people's elbow to finish but we're gonna need you to lay there for about two minutes. Yeah, you're really uh, just just really act like your heart exploded. Yeah, you're really dead. Uh, but Rock pins him, gets the one, two, three, and the crowd for for a split second forgets that Stone Cold ever existed and just cheer the shit out of the Rock, which right. he the, deserves. The Rock brought all the attention back onto him, and it was a really a good moment for him. And it was the match we should have got at WrestleMania because the Rock never gets his chance at WrestleMania to get the title. I'm always frustrated about that. But a great match for him. Yeah, and that uh, it, it capped off. It was a great match that capped off a great pay-per-view. And uh, what a damn pay-per-view it was. I thoroughly enjoyed it from start to finish. Uh, you know, from top to bottom, this, this pay-per-view delivered. It was, it was stellar. And, man, do I, do I wish we had stars nowadays that, that we had back then. And I want, one of the best things about this era is that, like, yeah, The Rock was huge and, you know, yeah, it was one of those things where he hardly ever lost, but you still had the chance that someone like Triple H or Mankind, Stone Cold, you never knew who was going to win those main event matches. Kane, Big Show, Undertaker, it was stacked. Yeah, if, if anyone was ever expecting the Big Show to win the title at Survivor Series 99 when Austin went out and got hurt, then you're crazy. So, I mean, extended disbelief really works if you can buy into it and you have the guys to tell the right kind of stories because I wasn't ready for for the big show to win that night, but he ended up doing it. Yeah, and that's that's definitely one of the things that's sorely lacking nowadays because you have guys like, you know, like, you know, I've been joking about Roman Reigns, but when he's in a big match uh, up until lately, you, you knew he was going to win. Uh, same with Seth Rollins and... Uh, you, you just know that when, when it's a big match at a pay-per-view that those guys are going to win. Yeah, and regardless the, of who they go up against. The WWE he really hasn't been pushing the underdog story so much anymore. We don't have a, a Rey Mysterio winning titles anymore. Kind of guys like that that you think will never have a shot because everyone now is somewhat believable. Yeah, and that was one of the names I was going to bring up specifically is Sami Zayn. He's someone who's tailor-made for that uh, underdog story. Uh, guys like him, guys like Neville Cesaro, who WWE just does not want the crowd to love Cesaro. Yeah, I mean, and, we, could, we could have a whole know, show I, about how good I Cesaro is. I don't want to bring this up. I feel bad bringing this up. But uh, Bray Wyatt, you know, he's 
Where, where's his title? Where, where's his big push? Yeah, where's his individual title that he should have gotten a long time ago? I, I understand if they, they're, they're trying to make his character seem above any title. Like, he's not really chasing a title. But one thing that you, that you should have with Bray Wyatt is when someone feuds with him, when they're done, they should not be the same person. I mean, look at, you know, Xavier Woods did it perfectly. Uh, you can, he really sold that Bray was messing with him. Same with, you know, Daniel Bryan, you know, those guys showed like, wow, this guy, he, they're, he's crazy. And, you know, we're, we're not the same person when he's around. Yeah. I could talk for an hour about Bray Wyatt. You know how I feel about him. And I, could, <laughs> I know. And, and that's something we right will, <laughs> that's something we will, uh, talk about on a later show, but that has been our pay-per-view review uh, Backlash 2000, uh, one of the best pay-per-views of the time, of maybe of all time, and you know it was a real pleasure going back and watching it and really reliving it. Yeah, I'm really glad that we picked this one to lead off with. It had a little bit of everything, some great storytelling, a really great finish, which you really want in all your pay-per-views as a main event that really pulls it together. And this one came too. I liked it. Yeah, and uh, if you have any suggestions on pay-per-views you want us to look back in the archives uh go ahead and shoot us a message on on facebook at collar and elbow wrestling send us a comment uh find us on twitter at at c and e wrestling uh find us there and uh just go ahead and give us your uh your suggestions and i will be happy to uh i would we'd definitely be happy to you know hear from the fans and uh you know kind of get get you guys involved but, uh, all right, this has been uh, Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast with uh, Kenny Oak and Chris Harris. Uh, thank you for listening, and join us again next time.